People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Find some great podcasts and learn more by going to darkmyths.org. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by bunnieslippers.com and founditemclothing.com. Hey, Australia, New Zealand, keep your feet warm this winter with some Cthulhu slippers from bunnieslippers.com. And everyone else, get your favorite shirts from your favorite cult films from founditemclothing.com. And New Zealand and Australia, too. You guys are cool. Thank you for joining us. This is People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, your guide to weird fiction, cosmic horror, and other strangeness. Join us as we explore the Cthulhu Mythos timeline from the start of time to the cooling of our sun. This is one of our readings. Join us next time for a full episode. Welcome to Reading 15 of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I would like to thank Heather and Scott Arden Anderson for their hospitality and letting me record in their living room while they are at the beach. So thank you again, and I'll clean up the mess. This week we will be reading from Arthur Mackin's episodic novel, collection of short stories, anthology. I'm not quite sure what to call The Three Imposters. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Yes, we will be going through the prologue and what exactly The Three Imposters is. But for the next bit, the reading will be from Arthur Mackin's The Three Imposters. We've already read one part of it, which is the white powder, which we covered a little bit back. The Three Imposters is an episodic novel by British horror fiction writer Arthur Mackin. First published in 1895, the Broadly Heads keynote series, it was revived in paperback by Ballantine Books as the 48th volume of the Ballantine Adult series in June 1972. The novel incorporates several inset weird tales and culminates in a final denouncement of deadly horror, connected with a secret society devoted to debauched pagan rites. The three imposters of the title are members of this society who weave a web of deception in the streets of London. Relating to the aforementioned weird tales in the process as they search for a missing Roman coin commemorating an infamous orgy by the Emperor Tiberius and close in on their prey, the young man with spectacles. Partly in response to the criticism of the Stevensonian style of the book, Mackin altered his approach in writing his next book, The Hill of Dreams. Following the death of his first wife in 1899, Mackin developed a greater interest in the occult, joining the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. He noted that a number of the events in his life seemed to mirror events in the Three Imposters, notably a conflict in the order between William Butler Yeats, a young man with spectacles, and Alistair Crowley, which reached its height around this time. These experiences are reflected on in Alan Moore's Snakes and Ladders. I, I believe we've talked about this in the past. And it's well noted that the Black Seal in the novel of the White Powder influenced H.P. Lovecraft, and he spoke of it in Supernatural Horror and Literature. Lovecraft suggested that uh, those particular stories represent the high watermark of Mackin's skill as a terror weaver. Uh, the novel of the Black Seal, uh, The Call of Cthulhu, modeled some parts of that as 
the Dunwich Horror and the Whisper in Darkness as well. The story bear a strong resemblance to the lurking fear, uh, the Black Seal. The white powder and the color out of space, as, as I've talked about before, are also very, very close in... Um, uh, the color out of space feels like a spiritual successor, almost, uh, from weird fiction to cosmic horror. But anyway, enough about that. Let's get some prologue going. Check out People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos Friends in Sweden, Sleazy Viking Press. Thanks again to BunnySlippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com for sponsoring this episode. Check out the store at pgttcm.com and see what we have to offer. Check out D.B. Spitzer's art by going to society6.com slash dbspitzer76. All kinds of stupid posters, tote bags, framed art prints, throw pillows. I don't know, probably some shower curtains and wall clocks there, too. society6.com slash dbspitzer76. You can help out the show and help us get new equipment and help keep the show running and pay fees here and there by donating a buck or five to paypal.com slash pgttcm dot me that is pgttcm dot me remember you can follow people's guide to the cthulhu mythos at pgttcm dot com and pgttcm dot podbean dot com follow us on facebook and twitter the three imposters by arthur mackin prologue and Mr. Joseph Waters is going to stay the night, said the smooth, clean-shaven man to his companion, an individual not of the most charming appearance who had chosen to make his ginger-colored mustache merge into the pair of short chin whiskers. The two stood in a hall door, grinning evilly at each other, and presently a girl ran quickly down the stairs and joined them. She was quite young, with a quaint and piquant rather than a beautiful face, and her eyes were of a shining hazel. She held a neat paper parcel in one hand and laughed with her friends. Leave the door open, said the smooth man to the other, as they were going out. Yes, bye. He went on with an ugly oath. We'll leave the front door on the jar. He may like to see company, you know. The other man looked doubtfully about him. It's quite prudent, don't you think, Davies? He said, paused with his hand on the moldering knocker. I don't think Lipsius would like it. What do you say, Helen? I agree with Davies. Davies is an artist, and you are commonplace, Richmond, and a bit of a coward. Let the door stand open, of course. But what a pity Lipsius had to go away. He would have enjoyed himself. Yes, replied the smooth Mr. Davies. That summons to the West was very hard on the doctor. The three passed out, leaving the hall door cracked and riven with frost and wet, half open as they stood silent for a moment under the ruinous shelter of the porch. Well, said the girl, it is done. I shall hurry no more on the track of the young man with spectacles. We owe a great deal to you said Mr. Davies politely. The doctor said so before he left, but... But have we not all three had some farewells to make? I, for my part, propose to say goodbye here before this 
picturesque, moldy residence to my friend, Mr. Burden, dealer and the antique and curious. And the man lifted his hat with an exaggerated bow. And I, said Richmond, bid adieu to Mr. Wilkins, the private secretary, whose company has, I confess, become a little tedious. Farewell to Miss Lally, and Miss Leicester also, said the girl, making as she spoke a delicious curtsy. Farewell to the occult adventure the farces played. Mr. Davies at the lady seemed full of grim enjoyment, but Dr. Richmond tugged at his whiskers nervously. I feel a bit shaken up, he said. I've seen rougher things in the States, but that crying noise he made gave me a sickish feeling. And then the smell. But my stomach was never very strong. The three friends moved away from the door and began to walk slowly up and down what had been a gravel path, but now lay green and pulpy with damp mosses. It was a fine autumn evening, and the quaint sunlight shone on the yellow walls of the deserted house and showed the patches of the gangrenous decay and all the stains and the black drift of rain from the broken pipes and the scabrous blots where the bare bricks were exposed and the green weeping of a, of a gaunt laburnum that stood beside the porch and ragged marks near the ground where the reeking clay was gaining on the worn foundations. It was a queer rambling old place, the center perhaps 200 years old with dormer windows sloping from the tiled roof and each side were Georgian wings, bow windows, had been carried up from the first floor, and the two dome-like cupolas that had once been painted a bright green were now gray and neutral. Broken urns lay upon the path, and a heavy mist seemed to rise from the unculous clay, and the neglected shrubberies, grown all tangled and unshapen, smelt dank and evil. And there was an atmosphere all about the deserted mansion that proposed thoughts of an open grave. The three friends looked dismally at the rough grasses and nettles that grew thick over the lawn and flower beds, and at the sad water pool in the midst of the weeds. There, above green and oily scum, instead of lilies, stood a rusting triton on the rocks, sounding a dirge through a shattered horn. And beyond, beyond the sunk fence and the far meadows, the sun slid down and shone red through the bars of the elm trees. Richmond shivered and stamped his foot. We'd better get going soon, he said. There is nothing else to be done here. No, said Davies. It is finished at last. I thought for some time we should never get a hold of the gentleman with the spectacles. But he was a clever fellow. But Lord, he broke up badly at last. I can tell you he looked white at me, and when I touched him on his arm in the bar, but where could he have been hiding that thing? We can all swear that it was not on him. The girl laughed and then turned away when Richmond gave a violent start. Ah, he cried, turning to the girl. What have you got there? Look, Davies, look. It's all oozing and dripping. The young woman glanced down at the little parcel she was carrying and partially unfolded the paper. 
Yes, both of you, she said. It's my own idea. You don't think it will do nicely for the doctor's museum? It comes from the right hand, the hand that took the gold Tiberius. Dr. Davies nodded with a great deal of approbation, and Richmond lifted his ugly, high-crowned bowler and wiped his forehead with a dingy handkerchief. I'm going, he said. You two can stay if you like. The three went around by the stable path, past the withered wilderness of the old kitchen garden, and struck off by the hedge at the back, making for a particular point in the road. About five minutes later, two gentlemen, whose, about five minutes later, two gentlemen, whom idleness had led to explore these forgotten outskirts of London, came sauntering up the shadowy carriage drive. They had spied the deserted house from the road, and as they observed all the heavy desolation of the place, they began to moralize in a great style, with considerable debts to Jeremy Taylor. Look, Dyson, said the one as they drew nearer. Look at those upper windows. The sun is setting, and through the panes are dusty yet. The grimy sash of oral burns. Phillips replied the elder, and it must be said, the more pompous of the two. I yield to fantasy. I cannot withstand the influence of the grotesque here, where all is falling into dimness and dissolution, and we walk in cedar gloom, and the very air of heaven goes moldering to the lungs. I cannot remain commonplace. I look at that deep glow of the panes and the house lies all enchanted. That very room, I tell you, is within all blood and fire. And that is the end of the prologue to The Three Imposters by Arthur Mackin. Join us next time when we talk about the Gold Tiberius for Reading 16. Thank you for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Hold on and listen to the credits. Um, before I get into that, thank you everyone who's listening. And remember, you can always go to pgttcm.com to find out what's going on. Find out what's going on with the show. Find out if we've got anything coming up. Find out if we've got any new cool shirts. Anything like that, you know. And everyone who's bought a shirt, hoodie, anything like that, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Helped uh, buy some new equipment, some new microphones, and a new mic stand. <sighs> um, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. Hosted by D.B. Spitzer. Remember to stay squiggly and keep it weird. <laughs> Thank you for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Join us next time when we talk about weird fiction, horror, or any other number of topics. Join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to PGTTCM on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else you listen to your measly podcasts. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is written, edited, and produced by D.B. Spitzer, who is also the host. Music by Kevin McLeod. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Find some great and spooky podcasts and learn more by going to darkmyths.org.
Thank you for listening, and feel free to write us or check out our Amazon link, which you buy something, we get a little bit, and if you buy something, we we won't say who you are, but we'll say what you bought, and this is an opportunity to make D.B. Spitzer say something stupid. All right, thank you for listening, and... I don't know, keep it squiggly 